Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to episode 166 of Reclaiming the Faith. Today, my wife and I will be discussing 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. You can find links to all of my resources at philsbaker.com. And if you're blessed by this episode, please consider leaving a positive rating and review on our Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Also, I've got a new book, The Final Abominable Temple, which you can purchase in audio, digital, hardback, and paperback formats on Amazon.com. And if you've read it, please consider leaving a review there as well. Finally, we are blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency, and you can find links to all of Omega Frequency's content at omegafrequency.com. Also, I just recorded a lesson on the Omega Frequency Live YouTube channel about King Jehoshaphat. And along those lines, I just did a message on Omega Frequency's YouTube channel about Jehoshaphat. So go over to Omega Frequency Live and you should be able to find that message that was on October 21st. All right, well, without any further ado, let's get into episode 166. All right, Stephanie, back into our Thessalonians series. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Phil. How are you? I'm doing good. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world right now. Yeah, there is. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it's very sad. Very, very sad. It'll be interesting to see how maybe this Thessalonians series, though it's 2,000 years old, might shed a little bit of light on some of the stuff as we go along in the series. Maybe not so much today. Maybe a little bit today. Yeah. But um, yeah, definitely praying for all the stuff going on out there. Sure. Got some friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so last time we had planned on doing verses one through five, but we only got to verse four, hmm. which was only like half of a sentence. So we're going to pick up with verse four again, but primarily focus on uh, in our discussion verses five through 10. All right. Stephanie, you're going to be reading from the ESV today. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So if you're following along, she's got the ESV. I'm going to be using the NAS. So uh, let's do it. Verses four through 10 of chapter one of First Thessalonians. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
All right. So in verse four, we talked about how Paul said he knew that they were beloved by God and uh, that God had chosen them. And um, how do we know God chose them? Well, Paul goes in verse five to say that our gospel did not come to you only in words, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit in full conviction. So, so let's look at this. So he said, it didn't just come in word only. So probably Paul's talking about uh, not just with awesome, accurate preaching. So that's mm-hmm. part of it. You have to proclaim the gospel. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. So, but it didn't just come with preaching. It also came with power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So this power thing um, would be demonstrations, in my opinion, demonstrations of the kingdom of God and life change. Uh, In Matthew chapter four, verse 23, Jesus is going throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. In Acts 17, we don't see Paul doing any miracles uh, or Silas or Timothy, though that's not to say that those things didn't happen. We just don't see that in Acts 17. But what we do see is life transformation. And that is a very clear demonstration of the power of God to transform lives, like what happened with Paul mm-hmm. um, on the road to Damascus. You have this enemy of the gospel, this man who is a Jew, but is rejecting the Jewish Messiah, the promised seed of Abraham. And he is filled with hatred toward what he believes, he earnestly believes is an apostate movement. And he believes because of Deuteronomy 13, it's his duty to stamp out these idolaters who are basically following in his mind a false prophet. He's very earnest about this and sincere. But Jesus shows up to him, reveals himself. Paul repents and believes the gospel. He repents and believes that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he not only died on the cross for the sins of all people, that he also rose for the justification of all people. And so he puts his faith in Jesus and his life is radically transformed And that is one of the biggest proofs of the validity of the resurrection of Jesus. This man, Paul, who even secular and atheist historians and scholars have a very difficult time with, with his story, Mm -hmm. the drastic and immediate life change in Paul. Yeah. Can I, I have a question. So it says that, the gospel came not only in word, but like, how do you mesh that kind of, that kind of speech with like Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, that type of thing that the word in itself is powerful. Yeah, the word is powerful, but like we talked about yesterday, or yesterday, in the last uh, episode, in yeah. chapter two, it talks. Paul talks about how the word of God performs its work in those who believe. Okay. So, if it is received and believed, then 
then that power is unleashed in people's lives. Okay. And so that would be how Paul is, or why Paul is saying it was, it came not just in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So that word full conviction is not so much talking about conviction of sin, though that's going to be part of it, but it really means like complete assurance, most certain confidence. So they genuinely and fully believed the gospel message. And thus that produced a radical transformation. Okay. Yeah. So it's performing its work in people who believe. Mm. Okay. There are some places where Paul comes and, you know, he is not well received Mm -hmm. at all. And so even though he's preaching the word to them, it was, it did not perform its work, its designed work in them, which would be to, uh, for them to hear the word, receive the word and produce fruit that's in keeping with the word. So when it is not received, it, generally will harden the hearers okay. when the word is preached and not received. Okay. Yeah. You have any thoughts on that? Um, is, it, is it up to me how I receive it? Or is that, I mean, because we know that there are times where God hardened people's heart mm. um, or in general, or is, is it up to me? like how I'm going to receive it? Yeah, so that's a great question. Obviously, it is by grace through faith that we're saved. So the initiator is God, always. God reveals himself to people through creation. Mm -hmm. He's revealing himself to people through the cross. In John chapter 12, Jesus says, when the son of man is lifted up, then I will draw all men to myself. So... Jesus is the initiator and through his actions on the cross and then the empty tomb, that is now a very huge proof, a huge proof to people of the truth of the gospel. And through that, the gospel um, actions of Jesus dying and rising draw people to himself. So it's not completely up to you. That's what I mean. Like, it's not like, you're the initiator. You're not the initiator. God is the initiator. But then once it comes to you, uh, once that message comes to you by grace, now it is up to you. God has given you the ability to choose. You have to act on that by faith. That's where the free will comes in. That's your part. But even your part, the will, the desire to choose... God is the one who's given you free will. So mm-hmm. even that's an act of God's grace. So I just want to be careful um, because the way that question was asked could lend itself to a very reformed answer or a non-reformed answer. And so it's kind of tricky. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want it to go to like a hyper Arminian uh, approach mm-hmm. where it's all on you. It's not all on you because God is always the initiator. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So, um, yeah, we, we just uh, discussed sec, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, but this kind of shows the word of God coming 
the gospel coming in word with power and full conviction. So 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this reason also we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God, which performs its work in you who believe. And uh, we're going to see some more evidence of that work. So um, Paul continues in verse uh, 5. He says, just as you know, like the work that performs itself in in those who believe, uh, it says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So this is interesting. The Thessalonians are imitating Paul, who is imitating Jesus. Yeah. So this is the this is an example of someone uh, experiencing the transformative power of the word. They will imitate the Lord, basically. Yeah. Okay. So that's like that first First Corinthians eleven. One and two, right? Mm. It says, like, basically imitate me as I follow Christ. That's so right. That's um, this idea that, you know, we should be living a life that if someone was to imitate that and to do the same things that we're doing, that it would be a reflection of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how would they know? How would the Thessalonians know what the Lord did and taught? How would they know that? By the way you live. Maybe. Well, yeah. Paul would need to be relaying to them yeah. what the Lord did and taught. Mm. Otherwise, how would they know that they're truly imitating the Lord? Right. Right? So we, we can see Paul throughout this and all of his letters relaying what Jesus did right. and taught. He is not above his master. There's a really neat verse in Luke chapter six. It's in what's often referred to as the Sermon on the Plain, where, so it's like a, a, a miniature and slightly very varying version of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew five through seven in Luke six. And Jesus says, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he's been fully trained will be like his teacher. Mm. Paul grew up in this Jewish world of disciples and rabbis. You know, he talks about how his rabbi was Gamaliel. So he's following this Hillel tradition from Gamaliel. And so, you know, Gamaliel's trying to act like Hillel and Paul is trying to act like Gamaliel. Well, then he realized that's not the rabbi I need to follow. I need to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's the ultimate teacher. Now, I, I don't have the ability to go beyond Jesus, but if I'm fully being trained by Jesus, I'll be like Jesus. If I'm fully coming under his teaching and his authority, I should become like Jesus. And so the Corinthians, sorry, not the Corinthians, um, the Thessalonians have Paul basically as their rabbi, the person who initially brought the gospel to them. He's the apostle with Silas and Timothy. But ultimately, Paul is like, no, no, no. It's really Jesus. And so you bring up a great verse in 1 Corinthians 11 where he's saying, follow me as I'm following Christ. Mm-hmm. And that as is kind of interesting because it could be in the way that I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. Mm-hmm. That could be one way that it's taken, but I think yeah. a, a, a better way would probably be 
follow me just like I am following Christ. Right. So and that, no, go ahead. Go no, ahead. I mean, you kind of already hit on this, but just like if what I'm doing starts to differ from Christ, then yeah, like you said, that's that's not what you, I want you to model. And obviously I'm not above my teacher. So maybe even calling out that kind of thing, if you see that, you know, you're the teacher, might, it, you know, we're all capable of making mistakes, even in roles of leadership. But yeah, that we are in line with Christ. Yeah, for sure. Now he gets into something that may not be uh, very nice to, to hear. So he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation, in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Stephanie, what is your, how does your verse six read there? I think it said affliction, affliction right? Affliction, yeah. Affliction. Now, the word there, tribulation and affliction, is thlipsis, which literally means like pressure coming into a narrow place. Like you remember when we were walking through Hezekiah's tunnel mm. and like I had to turn sideways. Yeah. Because my shoulders were bumping the sides and mm-hmm. it was like rough, like you're getting squeezed. Yeah. That's the picture of thlipsis. And uh, did you say that it was the word with a th? Okay, thlipsis. <laughs> sounds so weird. Okay, yeah, yeah, but it's it's tribulation. Now it can come from internal or it can come from external, but it's it's someone being confined, being squeezed, left without options in mm-hmm. a sense. And so it's interesting that Paul says they're receiving this word even though they were in the midst of tribulation, they were getting squeezed, they were being persecuted, they were being afflicted, but they did it with joy. And you remember like Jason and some of the brothers being dragged, literally dragged before the magistrates, being hunted down. Like they, it's it's nuts. Mm. And Paul saying like, that kind of continued for a little bit. Like this was not... This was not like a quick little, oh, sorry, guys, we screwed up. It was a a prolonged affliction, um, persecution, tribulation. And um, they did it with joy, which is really neat. I mean, that brought to my mind um, Acts 5 in uh, verse 40. All the apostles have been arrested and taken into the Sanhedrin for questioning. Gamaliel tells them, tells the Sanhedrin, he's part of the Sanhedrin. And he's like, look, if this is from God, you're going to be fighting against God. If it's from man, like, don't worry, it's going to take care of itself. It's just going to go away. So let's not fight against God. So uh, in verse 40, it says the Sanhedrin took Gamaliel's advice. And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. And ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So, you know, in Acts 4, you have the apostles being threatened and jailed. But here in Acts 5, you sorry, in Acts 4, you had Peter and John mm-hmm. being threatened not to preach in the name of Jesus and jailed. In Acts 5, you have all the apostles rounded up, jailed, and flogged. And how do they respond, though? Well, in 
verse 41, how do they respond to this tribulation, this affliction? They went on their way from the presence of the council, the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name, Jesus' name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. It's pretty powerful. Mm. They received the word with, just like the Lord did, in the midst of tribulation, the Lord is being persecuted by people, by his own, tried to kill him numerous times. And yet he overflows with joy in his father, in a sense. Jason in First uh, Thessalonians, you know, he's literally dragged out of his home, dragged before the magistrates. And how does he respond to it? Well, when Paul wrote the book of Romans about four to, sorry, five to eight years later, he mentions Jason and he says that Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you and so do Lucius and Jason, my kinsman. So Jason didn't shy away from the faith after that. He went on mission with Paul, mm. which is awesome. Like it, it seems like he felt joyful about yeah. this opportunity, kind of like the apostles mm -hmm. to suffer for Jesus. But Stephanie, believers go through tribulation? Well, I think we're promised that, right? Aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus says it, right? But I thought believers are not going to go through the tribulation. Are we talking about tribulation or the tribulation? Are we saying those are the same? Yeah, maybe. Are they? Are they the same? Are they different? Uh, well, I would say they're different. How would they be different? Well, tribulation is just kind of like a general term for like suffering. And specifically, Jesus talks about us like... If Jesus suffered, why would we expect anything different for ourselves? Mm. So, Yeah. So we've got like Matthew 24, verse 9. Jesus says, They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. That's what he said to his disciples. There. Sounds awesome. John chapter 16, <laughs> verse 33, these things I have spoken to you so that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. I love that verse. Acts 14, 21. After they had preached the gospel, this is Paul and Silas. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul in Romans 5, and not only this, but we exult in our tribulations, plural, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he gave us. I'll just give you one more. This is Revelation chapter one, verse nine. I, John, this is John who has been, uh, according to tradition, Domitian tried to boil him alive. He didn't Gosh. get boiled. So Domitian 
exiled him to Patmos. John writes, Revelation 1.9, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. What that do you was, think about that? Uh, I, I mean, as you're reading those, I'm just like, how do prosperity preachers come away with what they do? They don't teach that. I know. It's <laughs> yeah. a lot to overlook, you know? Like, if Jesus was all about that, then why did he have to suffer so much? Couldn't he have figured out a way to make it without suffering? Um, or why did he teach his disciples that they were going to suffer? Why was there so much suffering then if it's, you know, if it's just going to get better and easier from that point forward? Like, it's just so bizarre to me to read the Bible and to walk away with that. I can understand like a lot of focus on the blessings that come from following God and that we are, we're told that when we're obedient, that God blesses that, but we don't, I mean, our idea of what blessing is, is usually wrong. Mm. (laughs) You know, like we, we think physical, we think material, worldly kind of blessing. And it may be that, like there are times where we've experienced that personally, but to expect that that's how it's going to come is pretty messed up. That's, you know, God is the giver of the gift. We don't get to dictate what the gift is going to be. Sure. And I mean, you know, the the studies and the little experiments that are done with, with kids and with others that are similar to, like, do you want one donut Like delayed now gratification. Or, yeah. Would you rather that you receive your blessings on earth mm-hmm. now or for the rest of eternity? Mm. And Jesus tells parables about that. You know, you received your good things now. Well, Lazarus, he had bad things, but, you know, you received your good things on earth. Mm-hmm. You know, Lazarus had bad things, but now he's with Abraham, you know, yeah. being the picture of God while you are here in this torment. Mm. Which which would we prefer? Which one are we living for? You know, our, our buddy BDK talks about how um, what we're doing right now is basically uh, our job interview, Mm. for the life to come. Yeah. You know, like couples that are together, you know, they get together, they're going to get married and there's so much emphasis put on the wedding and like no preparation for the marriage. Mm. Like that's what it kind of feels like. It's like you're focused on the wrong part. You're focused on the part that maybe you can have some control over to some degree and you want to, but like the other part is the really good part it's just, it's, it's not as flashy. It's not as showy. And um, I don't know, we don't have as much control over it. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that we're going to see too is that Paul makes a difference between tribulation and wrath, which is interesting. Mm. Um, so like all of that talk about tribulation may seem kind of unnecessary for some people, but it's important that we lay this foundation because like Paul... And the other biblical writers clearly believe that followers of Jesus will go through various forms of tribulation. However, 
as Paul states in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in that situation, there in, in 1 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, wrath is juxtaposed against salvation. So, like, what's the opposite of salvation? Damnation. Yeah, right? So, it seems like Paul is talking, when he says wrath, he means, like, going into the lake of fire. Right. That's kind of what it seems like since he juxtaposes the two. Salvation, not for... He's, he's destined us for salvation, not wrath. But Paul is saying tribulation comes right. for Christians. Anyway, okay. let's keep going. So verse seven, he says, so you became an example. So he was saying, Paul earlier said, I was an example. You followed my example mm-hmm. and I was following Jesus's example. And now he says, you became an example in verse seven to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So that's pretty cool. They became this example. And that word, uh, typos, it literally means to like strike repeatedly, properly a, a model forged by repetition. All right. So that's, that's just really cool. They were living out, um, the Great Commission. One of the uh, parts of the Great Commission that is, it's not just baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. It's not just making disciples of all peoples. That line in between is teaching them to obey everything that I have taught. Teaching them to obey. Now that requires communication. That requires the proclamation of the word of the Lord, but it also requires demonstration, not just proclamation. As you've heard, I'm sure lessons are much better caught than taught. Right. And that's the hard part. It's a lot easier to talk the talk than it is to walk the walk. Mm. But people need an example to follow not just words. They need to see this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of makes me, there's a, there's a line in a Lecrae song that talks about like something about disciples that make disciples, disciple cycles or something. And like, yeah. I, I like that, that phrase because it's, it should be ongoing and it should, and it's how like the message of Jesus outlives our life. And, um, you know, we are able to, to reach more people. Like that's, that's the only way that it's going to go out. I mean, there is some value in like producing something that goes out into, you know, large crowds or whatever. Maybe that's music or maybe that's a book or whatever, but that it may spark something in somebody, but it's usually, that's not how people are usually transformed. Like you were saying, it's through this ongoing time spent with them. And I know that like, um, that's something I've seen personally when people have invested in me and, you know, like, especially with like working with teenagers, you know, you get that opportunity to do the same. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
So you're talking about the word of God going forth, and that's what Paul says. Mm-hmm. Like, as they're being an example to those in Macedonia and Achaia, verse 8, the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in also every place. Like, he's Paul is hearing this everywhere he goes. Like, in every place, your faith toward God has gone forth so that we don't need to say anything. It's almost like, your reputation precedes you Mm. and it's preceding Paul. So like Paul shows up in a new place like Corinth or Ephesus and already people are hearing about this great turning to the Lord in Thessalonica. Mm. It's just incredible. So it is like this disciple cycles Mm -hmm. going on yeah, because of the way they're living out and proclaiming the gospel. Yeah. I mean, their reputation precedes them, but it's it's what God has done. It's not it's not anything about like, oh, look what look what kind of programs they're running there. This is <laughs> this is look at look what God has done. He's transformed them. Yeah. So I mean, like, what is the message that people will know us by? Yeah, they receive the word of the Lord for what it truly is, the word of God. Mm. They received it Mm -hmm. and let it do its work in them. They're believing it with full conviction. And so God, it's kind of like the parable of the soils where you have some seed that's the preaching of the kingdom. And this is, if you want to look at this, this is Matthew 4, Luke 8. Sorry, that's wrong. Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. Um, where the seed that falls on the path is those who don't understand the message and Mm -hmm. the birds of the air, Satan, the demons come take away that word so it can't do its work. Right. So people can't be saved. Then you have some that fall on the rocky soil and it at first springs up because people receive it with joy, but they don't have deep roots so that when persecution or tribulation arises because of the word, Mm -hmm. um, they quickly fall away. Then you have the soil that is represented by uh, thorns and thistles and briars, which choke the word. So these are the cares of life, the desires for riches and worries of, of other things. And they choke this word to make it unfruitful. But then you have the word that is put on the seed that's sown onto good soil that they receive it and they put it into practice and it produces a crop you know, 30, 90, 100, whatever fold, 30, 50, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it just yeah. produces a huge harvest basically yeah. because um, they received it for what it was. Now, interesting, what is the the crop that's being produced? It's the same type of seed. You know, you reap the same kind of seed that is sown. So if you're sowing Jesus seed in people and people are receiving Jesus, right. then the fruit should look like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, let's continue. So Paul talks about how the word of God sounded forth. Their faith toward God has gone forth. So we don't need to say anything. Why? Well, verse nine, for they themselves report about us. Who's they? He's just saying everywhere. <laughs> you know, yeah. All of these places that we're going, mm-hmm. they report about us, what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God 
from idols to serve a living and true God. So that message is going forth, how they received it for what it is, the word of God, they believed it, their lives are changed. Now the message that Jesus preached was the time is at hand, or sorry, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It's from Mark 1, 14 and 15. And so Paul is preaching the same message of the kingdom of God. And he preaches like in um, Mars Hill in Act, later in Acts 17, that now all men everywhere are called to repent and believe in the one God's son whom he sent from heaven, right. Jesus, Right. So what, you know, you have this mixture of people in Thessalonica. If you remember from Acts 17, you have Jews in the synagogue because that's where he's going to preach. You have ethnic Jews who are Jewish also by religion. You have God-fearers there that um, are Gentile believers in Judaism. And then you have just a bunch of Gentiles that are not Jews necessarily, but they're just there. Right. You know, they Maybe they have questions. Maybe they're neighbors of these people. Mm -hmm. And they all come to Paul. And yet Paul is saying all of them turned from idols to serve the living and the true God. So Jews were serving idols and Gentiles were serving idols. So what would be the, let's start with the Gentiles. What would some of the idols be for Gentiles? What do you think, Stephanie? What would some of the idols be for Gentiles that they turned away from? Um, I mean, any kind of like false gods that they might be following. You know, there's a whole lot of different religions out there that, depending on which you know, people we're talking about. But there's so many different gods to worship. Mm. Yeah. I mean, literal like Greek gods, yeah. you know, like Zeus, Mercury, Paul and Silas run into that type yeah. of worship um, in Acts 14. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to have uh, in Ephesus, you have this huge Artemis cult. Right. You know, I mean, this is legit stuff, legit idols that people are turning away from. And you also have idols of the heart that people turn away from. Like power, money, mm -hmm. prestige. Those kind of things. Right. But what about these faithful Jews? What, what idols would they be turning away from? This is a interesting thing to think about because Jews that are faithful are definitely not serving idols. They're not worshiping idols. That's against the second commandment, the first and second commandments mm -hmm. of the 10. If anything, Jew, to, that should describe Jews. They are not idol worshipers. And here Paul is saying both Jews and Gentiles were turning away from idols to serve the true living God. So what do you think's going on there? Could it be referring to like a false idea of what the Messiah is? They missed Jesus. Yeah, I think you're right. You yeah. know, that that's definitely what I think is going on because they have rejected the promised seed of Abraham. Yeah. Right? If you want to see this stuff, read Romans 2 through um, 4, basically. And Paul really gets into this, what what a true Jew is. And uh, he gets into it again in Romans 9 through 11, uh, very much so. And uh, honestly, it's, it's throughout the entire book. He's really looking at that. Uh, 
do they believe in the seed of Abraham that came through um, Isaac and Jacob and then through Judah and then descended through David and came all the way down through history, finally through Mary and Joseph, even though it's not exactly Joseph, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's the Holy Spirit, but this is the guy. Do you believe in him? If you don't, you're not serving God. Right. And that might be really hard to hear for some people, but the true believer in Jesus is Abraham's seed, whether they be ethnically Jew or not. Do you believe in Jesus? If you don't, you're worshiping a false God, whatever that is. It's false. It's an idol. So that's how possibly this could you know, relate. It does relate to some of what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. You have two groups that are viciously at war with each other, and both groups claim to be the rightful descendants of Abraham. Right. And you have a lot of Christians that are picking one side, saying those are the rightful children of Abraham. And Paul, you're going to see a lot in chapter two of of 1 Thessalonians. He has a whole lot to say about this issue. Right. When we get to the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter two. But it's all about Jesus for Paul. It's 100%. He had to turn away from idols to serve the living and true God. Right. Yeah. So... What are they waiting for? They're serving, living in true God and to wait for his son from heaven. This is 1 Thessalonians 1.10. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, the true God, the living God, who rescues us from the wrath to come. So when does Jesus come from heaven? When he returns. Okay. I mean, I tend to agree with you, but some people believe there are two second comings. There's an invisible coming of Jesus and a visible coming of Jesus. And the invisible coming of Jesus is just for believers in Jesus. And he rescues us from the tribulation Mm. That is to come, okay. which is equated with the wrath. Some people view what is known as the great tribulation time. Mm-hmm. Some people say it's seven years, right? That is the wrath to come. Okay. Now, is that? Well, when does Jesus come from heaven? When does he come from heaven? So First Thessalonians 4, you want to turn there? 1 Thessalonians 4 and maybe read verses 15 through 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. Sure. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says the believers are waiting for Jesus to come from heaven. That's what we're waiting for, okay? Waiting for Jesus to come from heaven. In chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says the Lord Jesus will descend from heaven with certain things around him, with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ rising first. So there's this resurrection of the dead. And then we who are alive and remain will also be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So several things happening around this event of the Lord coming from heaven. What are we waiting for? Well, when he comes, all those things happen. Same verbiage by Paul, descending from heaven, coming from heaven. That's what we're waiting for. Jesus is pull, or sorry, Paul is pulling almost certainly from Matthew 24. There's so many areas of Matthew 24 that correspond with 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 and 2 Thessalonians 1 through 2. But Stephanie, can you turn to Matthew 24? So this is in uh, the beginning of what's known as the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse is Matthew chapters 24 and 25. All of that, both of those chapters are part of the Olivet Discourse. He's talking to his disciples as they're looking on to uh, the Temple Mount. They've asked him, when are, you know, what's going to be the sign of the destruction of the, or what's going to be the sign of the end of the age? All right. And so Jesus has been telling lots of these different things that are going to surround or to look for concerning that. So um, look at verse, uh, yeah, 29 through 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the power, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will, he will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. All right. So Jesus says, you're going to see the son of man coming from heaven. What's going to surround that? Well, first of all, in verse 29, he says it's after the tribulation of those days. Yeah. After the tribulation, then they, his disciples, are going to see things coming from heaven after the tribulation. Mm. First, there's going to be these cosmic signs, right? Signs in the sun and moon, right? This weird stuff. The moon's not giving its light. The sun's not giving its light. There's this shaking, right? maybe a massive earthquake or something like that. Something's like crazy going on. It's cataclysmic stuff. And then you see the son of man in the sky. He's coming. There's angels. He sends forth his angels. Remember you talked in First Thessalonians 4, you talked about with a shout, the archangel, right? right? Then you have this great trumpet. Mm-hmm. Paul says a trumpet blast. 
And then Matthew 24, again, 31, he's going to gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So there's a gathering of believers. Mm. Okay. Lots of correlation there. Right. And there's a lot more, by the way, when you compare 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, 2 Thessalonians 1 and 2 with Matthew 24. But just look at those right there. You see these correlating um, signs. Right. When the Lord descends from heaven. But the key verse there is that it's after the rev- after the tribulation of those days. Right. Now, that tribulation, according to Matthew 24, involved the Antichrist and the abomination of desolation. Many people are saying, hold on, that's during the wrath of God. But... Paul says, Jesus delivers us from the wrath. Yeah. But Jesus says he's coming after the tribulation of those days. Mm. So it seems like Jesus is not saying the tribulation is wrath. Right. Wrath sounds worse. Wrath sounds far (laughs) worse than the tribulation of those days. And Jesus even says like, the tribulation of those days is going to be like un, is going to be unlike anything that's ever happened before or will happen again. The worst of all human history is going to happen in that time. Mm-hmm. Yet Jesus says, after the tribulation of those days, he's coming in the clouds with a mm. shout, trumpet blast, gathering the elect. Mm. So Jesus does not appear to equate the times of the Antichrist with the wrath of God. Mm. Jesus calls that tribulation and like great tribulation, yet it's not wrath. Right. These are really important things to believe because if you believe that we are going to be taken out away from the earth before the times of the Antichrist, but you're not taken away, then you're left with this dilemma, A, did I get it wrong? Yeah. In terms of like timing mm-hmm. or B, was I not even a Christian? Well, depending on how you view the word elect, like there's a lot of people that might make it all the way to the end and in their own theology, they may not even be elect. They may not realize that. So that, I mean, that's a terrible thought. But I think if we're if we go, I don't know. I'm not trying to say which one is right or wrong, but it seems to be that if you err on the side of expecting to suffer and expecting to endure tribulation and we're wrong and we get raptured out before that, that would be a pleasant surprise, right? Yeah. (laughs) Rather than the opposite where you're expecting to not suffer in that, at least not to that extent. And then you end up being really disappointed and really questioning the goodness of God, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jesus promises us tribulation like we've read. Yeah. We are promised tribulation. But Jesus also and his apostles promise us we are not destined for wrath. Right. So, again, this is kind of where we're coming to an end, but like, is that the whole tribulation, the very end of the tribulation, the bowls of wrath or the lake of fire. And I've got a ton of verses here, but I'm, 
I'm not going to go into all of that because we've been going on for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> right. But um, but we're just going to go ahead and land with a a passage out of Second Thessalonians, chapter one. And we're going to read verses six through 10. And obviously we'll do this in more detail whenever we get to second Thessalonians, but we're going to look at second Thessalonians chapter one, starting in verse six, verses six through 10. So, uh, Stephanie, would you mind reading that for us, please? You said second Thessalonians one, six through 10. Yeah. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction, those who afflict you and to grant relief to the, to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. There you and, go. So that passage does not use the word wrath, but man, does it describe it. Right. Eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, flaming fire, retribution to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we need to really think about that because God's not going to pour out wrath on his people. But what is required for you to not receive this wrath? You must obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Didn't say obey the Ten Commandments. He said, obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus went through all the synagogues proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. Repent. The time is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. Believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Why is he saying the kingdom of God is at hand? Because he's the king. Mm. He's the king. He's the yeah. king of Ezekiel. That's going, he's David. He is King David, you know, the David's son that has come to rule. And we must believe in him. That is the main work, yeah. according to John. That is the work of God, to believe in Jesus Christ. Right. That's not, that, is, that is God's plan mm -hmm. for redemption, for the Jew first and then to the Gentile, to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we don't want people to experience God's wrath, we have to proclaim that message to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. All things gotta find the reaching ending. Everyone's gonna stand before. of the world play on your heartstrings Hold fast to the very last No matter what he brings Pray that when the day
sunset means the night is soon approaching The last step of discipleship arrives You're gonna tear me apart but still I'm holding Holding on to the glorious one who's gonna make us shine